0: Good day and welcome to the call 10 stocks picked by you two experts one hour it is Tuesday the 14th of June I'm Andrew Gagan good to have you along for the ride our two experts on the show today Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool and Chris Conway from Marcus today welcome to both of you Uh, what a day you've joined us on (laughs) goodness gracious Um, Scott how would you describe what's going on out there at the moment? I'm just looking at my heat map. Yeah. I can't see any green. It is bright red at the moment.
1: It's very, very hot. There's no cool. Uh, mate, it's a, it's a, when you said Scott, I thought you were to say, what have you done to the market? It's a tough old day out there. No super surprise, unfortunately. We know the US markets fell 2.5% Friday night. We didn't have the luxury or otherwise of having our market open yesterday. So when they fell again last night, we we're on a hiding to nothing. Um, it's it's a straight out fear trade there and here, whether it's legitimate or not, I guess time will tell. The, the open question for all traders and investors is simply what do higher rates mean? What does higher inflation mean? And what does the chance of a recession mean? And, and it's obvious to say in some ways. I think what it's worth pondering, though, is you see some of the indiscriminate selling across the board. Either the new news is genuinely worth it or it's not. When a share price falls 5%, 1 20th of the value is wiped off. No surprise, right? That's maths. But if a share price represents what it should, which is the future cash flows of that business from here to eternity, and you ask yourself whether some of these businesses are genuinely going to have 10% less cash flow or those discount rates are going to be that much higher for perpetuity from here, that's the open question. On one hand, possibly, yeah, if rates go up and keep going up or go up more quickly than we expect, then some of the, particularly some of the, the growth companies that aren't going to deliver profits for three, four, five, ten, 10, whatever years, they're worth a whole lot less than they should be. Businesses that are less uh, speculative or, or have you know, sooner term, nearer term profits, I'm not entirely sure whether some of the indiscriminate selling is justified, I have to say. So uh, probably a babies with the bathwater challenge. That means for people like Chris and I and anyone else watching who's picking individual stocks, there's an opportunity for a bit of bargain hunting, potentially. Mm. Whether this is the bottom or not open question i don't try and pick the bottom because frankly it's uh, designed to make a fool of me and you uh, but uh i happy to uh, happy to look around and say you know what if this represents decent value compared to what i think the company's worth in five six seven years from now uh, this is yep. potentially a really good time to go looking for those companies that have been too expensive to own until now but may possibly be worth something
0: all right we'll get to that in just a moment chris uh, your thoughts there As scott's saying it's fear trade are we seeing panic
2: yeah, I certainly think we are, Andrew. Uh, and it's uh, compounded by the fact that, like Scott said, we didn't have the opportunity to react to the CPI number on Friday night. So everyone's seen two days of 880-point uh, selling on the Dow and walked in first thing this morning and just said, that's it, it's a wipe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell everything and I'll ask questions later. Uh, I think what will be born out of this, and it happens in every cycle, so let's not pretend it won't happen again, what will be born out of this is some high-quality opportunities you know, companies that uh, are still great companies that will be trading at discounted prices, again, like Scott said. And the challenge now for investors is to, uh, to try not to panic. i um, certainly sell anything in your portfolio that is giving you a headache, some of those high PE, high growth names, perhaps. Uh, and then just uh, have a look at the market, see where it lands uh, and pick over the rubble and find those high quality opportunities. It's like I said, it's, it's for time immemorial we've been seeing these cycles. It will be no different this time uh, and, uh, you know, if you keep your head about you, I think there'll be some great opportunities in the coming weeks and months, perhaps. Mm.
0: All right. Well, given that, and uh, instead of doing a stock of the day, we thought, given the market is suffering its, its worst intraday fall since March 2020, we'd actually ask you guys for your buy, hold and sell. Uh, we better make it quick. So, Chris, <laughs> right now, today, what would you be buying and selling?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to be a little bit lazy, Andrew, and leverage the buy, hold, and sell that I spoke to you about just uh, last week. Uh, but they, they were all placeholders for things that I think are going on in the market right now. So the buy for me was Wally. Uh, energy and uh, materials have been the places to hide, uh, if you will, or play even and make some money out of them. Wally's is uh, obviously in the energy space or tied to the energy price. Oil is still at $120 a barrel. So I think there's still some um, perhaps juice in that trade. The hold was CBA. Uh, again it depends on what type of investor you are but if you're a long-term income investor i, I don't think you sell this one on you know it has been a fairly brutal uh, week or so for the banks but i don't think you sell it and of course the dividend is coming up and then the sell was breville group and that is the con- in the consumer discretionary space and uh, all three of us have talked about the difficulties that consumer discretionary will be facing undoubtedly we'll do it again today when we talk about some of the consumer stocks uh, and that is just a place that i would avoid altogether
0: yep okay good one scott uh, likewise, what, what you'd be doing today, you spoke about those opportunities that these uh, mm. down days present. So
1: I'll try to keep it really brief. Buyers are tough because on one hand you say, I get a chance to buy the stuff I've always wanted to buy that's been too expensive. It's not normally the stuff that's actually been completely bombed out, right? The really risky stuff is the stuff that when we look back in two years time, we're gonna say, man, look at the gains on that from hopefully today. Maybe, maybe today's the low if we're lucky, but may not be. Um, so it's a really hard one. I'm gonna go for technology one as the buy. Um, It's a really, really high quality niche provider of IT services, ERP, enterprise resource planning uh, software, largely to government, education, um, healthcare, really, really stable customer base, super sticky customers. The shares have been sold off a little bit, not as badly as most other tech companies and for the right reasons, right? Because it's simply a better quality business than most. Uh, but if you get a chance to buy that one when it's on special, I think it's a really good business to buy. It's one you really want to kind of grab and, and, and run with. So, technology one for me, TNE is the code. The hold for me is corporate travel management. I own shares in this one. Um, it's been a recommendation of ours for a long time. It's done really well. Uh, We're in that space, though, of what happens next with travel. Uh, On one hand, you say, well, we get back to some sort of normal. The shares are already kind of factoring that in. You've also got a question about is there going to be a recession there in the US or here or both or right around the world? Uh, And that will potentially impact on discretionary travel. So corporate travel, above each way, I'm really happy holding it. I don't think it's time to buy, nor do I think it's necessarily time to sell just yet. So just have a have a good think about that one. I think uh, when it comes to sales, this is this is a really tough one. The market's down so far, frankly, all the stuff that looked uh, expensive, a little bit less expensive now. But you want to focus again on the fundamentals. Chris mentioned some of those high kind of PE or, or not no PE uh, that, you know, high expectation tech companies. I think they're the ones you want to look at and say, are the profits really going to come in? Or did we get that one wrong? I'm going to plump for a, what's otherwise a favorite around the place, which is Prometicus. I think it's too expensive. P&E is the code. Good business doing a really good thing. I think the investor got way too carried away. The opportunity for PE compression still remains really significant. Now, this one could go higher because it's, it's largely a sentiment stock. You look at the PE on this one. Um, there's a lot expected of it. So maybe it continues to do well just because that sentiment remains high. If the sentiment does turn though, there's a lot of downside risk for Prometicus. If I owned it, I would be selling it now, taking the money saying thank you very much.
0: All right, okay, that's plenty uh, to think about then with those buy, hold, and sells. Uh, well, let's get into it. The ones as picked by you, we're going to look at in the first half of the show Domino's, MA Financial, Jumbo Interactive, Universal Store, and Infratil. Uh, let's begin then with uh, Domino's and Isaac wanting to know about this, uh, saying, I'd like to purchase it for growth and dividends and uh well the share price it's off around uh, what is it for the past just since the beginning of the year it's come off about half it's down 50 percent uh inflation foreign exchange headwinds they're obviously weighing on earnings but it is continued with its uh store expansion plans at this point as it's uh, obviously got a footprint there in both europe and also asia so scott dominoes yeah, I like Domino's. Full
1: disclosure, I own the shares. I have owned them from higher prices, so I've felt the pain of the decline you just talked about, Andrew, and it's been pretty brutal. Um, I think this is one of the very best businesses on the ASX, particularly in the consumer space. I know that's a big call for a consumer discretionary stock, uh, but the company, I think, has done a really, really great job right through all seasons. Uh, this has been a long-term favourite of mine as a business. I haven't owned it for all that time. Uh, but as an organisation, they've done a spectacular job of making... I, I mean, I go to my childhood, right? Domino's was a nothing. It was the challenger brand. Pizza Hut was the, the king, queen, jack and an ace of of the pack. Um, it's done a spectacular job of keeping prices down, keeping quality reasonable. No one's going to pretend it's a high quality pizza business. Um, utilizing technology really, really smartly, building on the economies of scale that are inherent in this business. It's a spectacular business model because you've got a small pizza kitchen, no dining facilities. You've got lots and lots of demand. And the growth of this business actually builds We're talking about economies of scale and network effects in an IT space. The opportunity for Domino's where it's actually now infilling new sites between existing stores because it keeps delivery times down, it keeps uh, scale growing and the quicker you get it, the hotter you get it, the more likely you are to reorder it and it becomes a really nice uh, virtuous circle. It's done a fantastic job here in Australia. It's continuing to grow year after year after year after year And New Zealand as well. The Japan business has turned around. Europe is going reasonably well. and I think will continue to grow. I think I've said before, I expect them to at some point potentially pick up the UK license. I wouldn't buy it on that basis. Just pure speculation for me. Uh, I wouldn't buy it at all on any expectation of getting it. Uh, The share price is down a lot. I think this is going to be a, a real long term winner. While the market doesn't like it, while we're worrying about what happens next in the next six, 12 months, Domino's out there building a store network, becoming more and more relevant to more people. It's quicker delivery, better delivery. They do a spectacular job of trading people up price-wise. You use the app. By the time you go in for a piece of garlic bread, you've ordered three super value pizzas, three Cokes and something else. Yeah. Uh, you, you've pretty much filled the basket. Uh, very, very good business. Super high quality business model. I like this one a lot. Markets mm. hating on it because the same store sales is down a bit. Uh, profits not going to be as good as they thought it was going to be because on the back of COVID, we've all rediscovered restaurants and cafes. That was always going to happen. I think the market probably got carried away in the past. But I do expect this is a business that is going to continue to beat the market. I think over five or 10 years do a really, really nice job. Show the market a clean pair of heels. So it's a clear buy for me.
2: Okay, good one. Chris. Um, I must say I'm a little bit less uh, convinced than Scott and probably more worried about it in the near term. Um, they said at their recent Investor Day that they, they're facing historic headwinds. And I think the market was a little bit spooked by that. Uh, Inflation, of course, you know, their raw materials are going up, the conflict in Europe, uh, currency movements all moving against these guys. Uh, I agree with Scott that their store rollout is aggressive and they have done well at implementing it to this point. The other side of that for me, though, is the cannibalization side. So they end up saturating areas, uh, perhaps with too many stores, and then they are stealing uh, customers and orders off of each other. uh, And then just backing away and again, looking at the macro environment Uh, you know, everyone's going to be pinching their pennies, probably all around the world, not just here in Australia, but in Japan and those Mm -hmm. other markets where they operate. Uh, And as cheap as Domino's pizzas are, uh, purse strings, uh, you know, they'll they'll be tight. So I think, uh, you know, uh, luxury spend well, not luxury spending, but discretionary spending on food would be one of the first things that people look to give up. Uh, And undoubtedly, I don't think that will have a positive impact on the bottom line for Domino's. So... Um, I won't disagree with Scott's five to 10 year view, but uh, I might disagree with the the near term view. And if you do have that longer term view, perhaps uh, you can uh, wait a little bit longer and perhaps pick it up a little bit cheaper.
0: Okay, so a buy, but not at this point.
2: Uh, No, it it wouldn't be a buy. It would be um, it would be a hold at best. A hold
0: at best. Okay. All right. Just clarifying that. Good one. All right, let's move on to the second one. And uh, this one is MA Financial. Uh, It's obviously a financial services company. Fairly niche products that are offering real estate, credit, hospitality funds, venture capital, private equity, uh, essentially targeting high net wealth investors. Walter wanted to know about this one, saying, my brother-in-law, who is a financial advisor, recently asked what stocks I held. He told me to get rid of Challenger and buy MA Financial Group and i want to get a second or third opinion well he's going to get it because uh chris and scott are here to do that chris ma financial
2: yeah it's not a company that i'd had a great uh, look at in the past but uh, obviously dived into it today uh, on behalf of walter but first things first walter make sure you um, assess what sort of relationship you have with your brother-in-law if it's a good one you probably back him if not well then you might uh, you might ask the question um (laughs) It looks reasonable though. So they reiterated their uh, FY22 guidance uh, and they have managed to achieve a growth in uh, assets under management and FUM over uh, the first four months of 2022. So seemingly they're going okay. Like you said, Andrew, though, it's it's sort of niche products, their asset management, lending, corporate advisory, those sorts of things. And I would have thought in the environment that we're heading into, all of those uh, divisions will face some challenges. Uh, I think that's undoubtable. Uh, And it's likely that assets under management and funds under management will fall simply by fact that the market could continue to go lower. And then of course, fees uh, uh, start to get impacted as well. So uh, I think the business has done a pretty good job of growing uh, and, uh, and, and perhaps can continue to grow over the longer term. Um, Just looking at the share price as well, though, it's come off pretty sharply from even January is up around $10 now trading towards $5 was 533 at the close on Friday. I'm sure it's lower than that today. Um, So you are taking a risk on buying a depressed stock and believing in the long term opportunity. Um, And if you're willing to take on that risk, then uh, it could be a buy for me. It's again, it's just a little bit too difficult to buy this sort of company at this stage of the cycle. So again, it will be nothing more than a hold for me.
0: Okay. All right, Scott.
2: Yeah, I'll work backwards. Chris has done a great job of summarising the situation.
1: I agree with him that it's a hold. Even after that, the client is still trading on a pretty pricey PE and an okay yield, which is not too bad. It, because it is a niche product provider, it's kind of one of those situations where you've almost you're almost got to take a view on management rather than the business itself because um, these sort of niche operations run really well, can create spectacular returns. But because they are niche, you don't really have a, a particularly transparent view on what they're doing and how they're doing it. And that's what, I don't mean that necessarily even in a bad way. You know, there are people out there doing really unusual things really, really spectacularly well. And they're the, they're the managers you want, right? They're really smart people who found a way to make some money. So in the case of MA, I think that's that's kind of the scenario that we find ourselves in. As Chris says, the, the challenge around funds under management, particularly for listed assets, but even for unlisted real estate assets, for example, where capitalization rates will continue to go up, which means values come down as interest rates go up. Uh, that, that's going to be a, a headwind they're sailing into. I wouldn't necessarily avoid it only for that purpose, but it doesn't, even though it sounds strange, their business half doesn't look particularly cheap. I think that's where we do find ourselves with MA Financial. Maybe they can find a way to turn this around and make a buck. I wouldn't count them out. Um, uh, kind of like, you know, it's almost sort of similar to the Macquarie story of when you've got a whole lot of smart people coming to work every day trying to make some money for themselves and for you, you odds are pretty good that they're going to find a way, even if it's not the way you expect it to happen. So I wouldn't count MA financial out at all. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem obvious that there is a, a sustainable, reliable way to, to make a case to say, and therefore this is likely to be a market beater from here. Despite all things I just said, um, what is it going to do? How is it going to do it? What's, where's, the, where's the cash flow from that in the current environment? I just think it's too high a hurdle to try and clear. So if yep. it is market beating over the next five years, I wouldn't be at all surprised. So you know, I wouldn't tell people to rush out and sell it, particularly if they've got a good reason for holding, if they know the thesis well, or they've got a particular idea they think will play out. But if you don't own the shares or you're simply not sure why you hold them, it's hard to look at this as how well, it's obviously a buy or obviously a sell for that matter, um, probably pretty squarely in the middle. I would probably lean towards the sell side of hold just based on the valuation, based on the, the who knows questions of what might come next. But I wouldn't rush out to sell necessarily. I call it a hole.
0: Fair enough. All right. Our third one, and we better move along as we're uh, time's getting <laughs> tight. Jumbo Interactive. Cristiano wanting to know about this uh, provides some analysis. It is the, the lottery retailer uh, saying it expects to complete its acquisition of lottery management provider Stride Management in uh, Canada that's uh, coming up. Um, Scott, Jumbo Interactive. So I like Jumbo,
1: but it's a high risk play and here's here's the jumbo story but its main business is it's a reseller of of the what's now probably the lottery company um, lotteries so it has a license to basically resell those on its own jumbo platform that's a great business to have because we know how how big lotteries are we know the sort of money that's spent on them and by the way the move online is only going to continue so more Australians you know betting more on, on lotteries more of us doing it online these guys are one of the tabcorp sorry you now lottery company has their own um their own websites of course but it's a great business to be in the challenge is as we've seen only last year i think it was maybe even late the year before was that the then tabcorp business basically said to jumbo if you want to resign this you're going to do it at a much better rate in our favor not in your favor if you don't want to that's okay walk away now if your entire business or most of your business is centered on reselling someone else's products you have to jump to their tune That's a great thing, but it's also a meaningful risk because if they simply can't come to terms, those terms are meaningfully reduced, as they were last time around, you're in some trouble. You talked about the acquisition. They're also trying to move into uh, providing uh, lottery services in other countries, providing not-for-profit, raffle-style lottery services. They're trying to use the, the, the lottery company cash flows or the business that's being sent their way to effectively make themselves... If not uh, uh, risk-proof, if that goes away, it'll still hurt them. But trying to make sure they've built another part of their business so they're less reliant on the lottery company relationship. That is both the upside and the downside. So really, big if they can land a couple of these international businesses, they can be much bigger from here. That's the basis of the buy case and the cash flows from the lottery company. I think it's a re-signed 10-year deal, if I'm not mistaken. So plenty of time to get this sorted out now. Yes, at lower rates, but that's locked in. So on balance i think it's a buy i think they'll do a lot more business in years to come because of the move to online lotteries and if they land a couple of those big acquisitions or or growth opportunities they will mm. meaningfully diversify the business and create some cut some value um, mm. so a high risk one but a buy for me
2: okay chris do you agree yeah i actually do uh, agree with scott on this one i like it as well I like the business uh, obviously they benefit from uh the big lotteries you know the 40 million plus lotteries that's when they generate Uh, a lot of revenue and Scott's talked beautifully about their uh, expansion opportunities so from the software side into the charity sector uh, and penetration of the US iLottery market so there's 14 states in America that have already uh, launched this iLottery and they have uh, sales exceeding five billion dollars already so there's a couple of ways that they can do it they can have a reseller agreement but that limits their upside a little bit Um, or they could go after a license which uh, is particularly competitive but if they were to launch their uh, then like Scott said, it would diversify the business uh, and give them some further upside. So I'm a buyer, but the only condition that I would put on it, I see that you've just put the chart up. That's beautiful. Uh, that it's trading right near the, the, the lows for about the last 12 months, near, near the September 2021 lows. Uh, so I'd like to see it bounce a little bit and have the share price have some positive momentum before pulling the trigger. But if we could do that, I'll back Scott and be a buyer as well. All right. Good one.
0: Moving on to our uh, fourth stock and Universal Store. Paul wanted to know about this. It is the fashion retailer, sort of targeting the youth market really. And uh, look, obviously we know retailers are under severe pressure at the moment. So Chris, what are your thoughts then on Universal Store?
2: Yeah, I've talked about this uh, this space before on the show with, with both of you gents and talked about how I didn't really understand the way some of these share prices of these types of companies took off. Setire was another one that, uh, was flying there for a minute during the pandemic and has come off considerably. And I'm sorry to repeat myself, but it's just going to be a terribly difficult play, uh, a place to play the consumer discretionary space over the next uh, 12 uh, months at the very least. Um, so I, I don't particularly like the opportunity from that perspective. I would say about these guys though, about Universal Store, that they do again have some pretty aggressive expansion plans. They've got 73 stores currently uh, and they, wanna, they want to get to 100 stores Uh, And there is some upside in terms of once they have that store network rolled out, that their margins will be able to expand because they'll have better penetration. So, again, there's potential for growth in the future. But are you willing to pay the current price for that future growth and in this environment? And unfortunately, my answer to that question is no. So, I don't hate the business. I just don't want to buy it right now. Okay, that's no. Um, So, Scott, thoughts?
1: Yeah, really good summary for Chris. I find myself almost in exactly the same place. You look at the raw financial, I think it's, according to my numbers, 10 times earnings, and you kind of go, wow, I mean, not much has to go right. The question is, can that actually go right? Because not much has to go wrong either for a small, young business like this in a really difficult market. I actually quite like many retailers, but not all of them, and actually not probably many. I like some retailers, because you really want to have something special. Retail is the easiest business in the world to get into. It's the hardest business in the world to get right because the barriers to entry are so low for everybody else as well. Uh, you know, think about think about fashion retail when we were kids. That was a very, very long time ago. Less for you blokes, but a while for me. Uh, and, uh, and and think about how, how things have changed so quickly since then. As a, as a business and then as an investor, you have to have your, pulse, your finger on the pulse of exactly what brands are changing, what's working well, what's not working well, how are companies adapting to all that kind of stuff. If you're in discretionary retail and fashion retail in particular, such a difficult, difficult job to do. Some of them do it really, really well. We talk about premier investments a lot of times. Even there, some of their chains do well in some years and badly in others. Um, they have the benefit of that kind of house of brands approach where they get to offset one against the other. I'm just not entirely sure in this case that even despite what obviously looks like cheap shares, uh, this is a business that's trying desperately to find a way to be a public market uh, participant through a cycle, which, as Chris said, there's some tougher times coming. Uh, statistically, at less than 11 times earnings, those numbers are legitimate, moving forward, it should be it should, on balance, probably um, going to be a market beta. Probably, if You had a dozen of these and said, look, you know, overall, if you bought a portfolio, would it be okay? Probably, but going into a tough time, maybe there's a recession coming, maybe there's not. Maybe there's certainly challenges around discretionary spending. Uh, you know, ask yourself, who are the customers? What are they going to do? I don't know the answer to that, and so you don't even have to necessarily know for sure that you're not right. You just have to say just don't know. I literally don't know whether or not this company has the wherewithal, the the appeal to its customers to continue to get them to spend, whether the customers will have enough money to keep spending in those circumstances. When you have that combination, it's there's no harm in simply saying, you know what, maybe I miss something that goes well, maybe I don't. I'm just going to give this one a, a pass. I'm just going to simply say, you know what, I don't know. I'll, I'll walk away, let it do its thing. I'll come back when the coast is a bit clearer either because the economy looks a little more certain or simply because the company justifies itself. It's okay. Well, I missed the upside a little bit. I'll jump on in X months, a year's time and, and ride the rest of the wave. But for now, I think mm. it's one best left alone.
0: Okay, that's a big pass then right. on Universal Store. Uh, let's move on to Infratil. Layla wanted to know about this. It is the New Zealand based infrastructure investment company, owns uh, what's in the renewable energy space, digital infrastructure, airports, healthcare assets, very diversified there. Scott, Infratil. Yeah, really diversified, which is great from a
1: business perspective. It makes it really hard from an investment perspective because you're looking at all these different parts of the business, saying data centers versus renewable energy versus uh, you know it, it's a really complex business, uh, not not in its, in its structure, but in the in the types of businesses that it's in because they generally are going to have different uh, things going for them at different periods of time. I like the infrastructure business in the data center area, generally speaking. I am on record as being a little bit concerned about the. Um, the ability to diversify, or more importantly diversify, to, to actually justify a premium for a data centre. At the end of the day, these are these are big warehouses with with computer racking in them, and I know that's horribly simplistic, but you look at everyone trying to begin in this space, the growth of this space. If you're a bull, you say, hey, there's going to be many, many, many more of these in the years to come. Everyone wins from the upside, from the sheer growth in volume. On the bare case, you say, well, hang on, what differentiates these from each other? And If the answer is not much, then where's the margin continuation in this space once there are enough players in this space once it's commoditized enough it's dime a dozen who really cares there's some benefit around space and speed Um, location as well matter a lot so there are some really specifics when it comes to data centers that matter a lot Um, they have a pretty good track record so there is that and put that on record i have to say though at the current price uh, it just doesn't seem super attractive to me at a two and a half percent yield it's neither a great income play nor it is a great uh capital appreciation play in my view. Uh you've seen that the share price there done almost nothing in the last year. When everything else around it has crumbled, it's been a great safe haven, uh, while a lot of growth names in particular have struggled. But I really can't see the obvious case for value with shell from this point. Great business, solid business, probably a good cornerstone position in a portfolio. If you have it, I definitely wouldn't sell it. Um but I can't I can't make a strong enough case for outperformance over the next five or so years. So for me I'm gonna leave it as a hold.
0: A hold? Okay, Chris?
2: Yeah, I'm much the same as Scott. I actually um, actually quite like their diversification and their suite yeah. of assets looks appealing. They own two-thirds of Wellington Airport, the renewable yeah. energy piece, which we know is uh, a big driver moving forward. Uh, and I quite like their healthcare assets as well. Uh, the problem, and, and Scott's pointed to it already, is, is the financials. So it's got a return on equity of 3.4%. Uh, on the numbers I was looking at, it has a fairly high uh, PE of around 40 times uh, one year forward and a low yield, like yeah. Scott said, of 2.5%. And i think there's better asset managers out there i think you need look no further than macquarie if you want uh, a good asset manager uh, and that is the one that i would certainly pick over Infratil. so um not at sell but uh no better than a hold yeah
0: okay all right a double hold then we'll put on Infratil. all right let's sum up where we've been for the first half of the show we began not with the stock of the day but what buy hold and sell uh that our guys would do right now today chris buying Wally. Holding CBA and selling Breville, obviously, given the problems of uh, consumer discretionary stocks. Uh, Scott, there, buying Tech One, uh, holding corporate travel, and selling Prometicus. Uh, the stocks as picked by you uh, Domino's, uh, Scott has a buy on it, saying it's one of the best businesses on the ASX. Uh, Chris has a hold, just worried about uh, those headwinds that the company's seeing at the moment. Uh, MA Financial, a hold from both. Jumbo Interactive, in the um, that's in the lottery management business. A buy from both for Jumbo Interactive. Universal Store, uh, once again, consumer discretionary, which uh, Chris is pointing out is a very difficult sector at the moment. I know uh, Scott's passing on it. And Infratil Hill there. Both have a hold on it. All right, let's uh, catch up with the Calls High Conviction Fund, which is picked by our Investments Committee, the latest episode of that committee meeting is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com so let's check in with a portfolio update west farmers elders resmed they were added this month shifting the original allocations and so far our fund is down 3.8 percent on a cumulative return basis since inception on march the first so keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next All right, the second half of the show, we'll be taking a look at Apollo, Credit Corp Group, Aurelia, Qualitas Real Estate Income Fund and Elmo. All right, let's kick it off with Apollo. Dean wanting to know about this one. It is the manufacturer, rental fleet operator, wholesaler of recreational vehicles. And Chris, um, I guess, you know, this was
2: a great reopening play. So where does it stand at the moment? Unfortunately, Andrew, it hasn't been uh, quite the reopening play that perhaps we all thought it would have been. They made a net loss uh, last time out of 2.2 million. Uh, and one of the most interesting slides from their slide deck was uh, their recovery to pre COVID 19 rental revenue levels. Uh, and they are at no more than about 40% of that level. Um, like Scott said earlier, there is some expectation that travel will improve in the medium term, but then if we get a recession, well, then uh, that's likely to be another negative impact in the longer term. Um, so I, I struggled to find a way to buy this stock in particular because there are other travel stocks at the very least that I'd rather be playing in. So names like Qantas recently has been grinding higher, uh, as has Webjet. Uh, and Scott talked about corporate travel as well, which is another one that I would put in that camp that I'd prefer uh over apollo so um yeah it's just too difficult for me at the moment uh and uh by their own reasoning uh they are only seeing levels at around 40 percent of pre covid so that's a big mm. worry for me yep
0: okay so that's a no um so scott your thoughts yeah as chris pointed out there you're obviously like corporate travel so what about mm. apollo mm. I, Chris right,
1: and Ryan, you're right with your intro, Andrew. This is one of those companies that should have
0: done really, really well during COVID.
1: At least we would have thought so. I, I won't blame them for doing it. Maybe we we're just wrong about it. But you look at the amount of travel that was done within state borders and then within the country when these international borders were still closed. Uh, you look at the growth in sales for a lot of a lot of RV, other RV makers, a lot of camper and caravan makers who just had spectacularly good couple of years because all the people who would have otherwise travelled overseas went, well, I guess we'll stay home and do our own thing then. Now, so they have they have been absolutely booming there are some caravans and camper trailer makers that are actually out of stock and don't have stock for the next six or 12 months so you compare that to apollo and say what went wrong i don't know the answer i really don't know the answer um, maybe it's the rental nature of the market rather than purchase um, maybe it's their locations maybe it's the type of vehicles i'm not 100 percent sure really honestly how they managed to miss this one so badly uh, again i don't mean that overly critically just if you think about what we would have expected and what some of their other competitors in this space have done locally the challenge is the reopening is kind of done, right? If you didn't make money over the last couple of years, people are now flying back overseas. They're now getting back on cruise boats. They're now doing the things we used to do. And so the recovery, even to those pre-COVID levels, as Chris said, um, it, for a lot of a lot of players, you're looking at the downside and saying, well, hang on, when there is that return to pre-COVID, that's a decline for plenty of kind of COVID winners, if you like. Um, and a lot of these uh, RV makers, a lot of these campers and caravan makers have been winners over this period of time. ARB had a really good result out recently own shares in ARB um, so those things have done really really well Apollo seems to have been left behind I don't know why um, but you have to say given that circumstance even if and when they do recover to pre-COVID levels they're getting back to where they were and then what um, again maybe it's the inbound tourists maybe inbound tourists are using these things maybe that is the upside maybe this is the perfect time to buy the shares because we're about to, to experience that recovery and that return of international tourism And maybe, ironically, in hindsight, this is exactly the right time to buy it because we simply or I simply didn't get the thesis right or the expectation right for what Apollo might have done over the last couple of years. I am, like Chris, going to leave it on the shelf. I have to say, performance-wise, I probably would sell it rather than even holding it at this point um, just because there's no real thesis for for that recovery. That being said, um, if it is an international tourism recovery and you want to make that case, then it would probably be a good time to hold and see if that plays out. I don't think I'd be brave enough to buy it though, so i hold it mm. best. Fair enough. OK. All
0: right, our next one is Credit Corp Group. Roger wanted to about this one. It uh, essentially collects debts, Australia, New Zealand, mm. also in the US. Uh, he's saying it's hovering around 52-week lows combined with a recently released positive market update and a current P of around 16. I'd like the panel's view on whether to consider if this is the right time to start buying. Scott?
1: So I don't think it is, and uh, it, it comes down to the credit cycles of both the purchased debt, and I'll get into that in a second, and their customers' ability to repay the debt. So Credit Corp and Silk, uh, and, and, you know, effectively, that they, they buy distressed debt from debt holders. Think about a credit card company that can't collect or a utilities company. Think about, say, a, a Telstra or equivalent or an energy company or equivalent who says, hey, I've tried to collect money from Scott for the last three months. He hasn't paid. We're going to sell that debt for literally cents on the dollar to Credit Corp. And they can go and try and get the money. Now, if, if I owe them $100, they might sell it for a buck. Uh, and then if they can get 3 five, ten $5, $10 out of me, then they've made some money. Now, they might try and collect from someone else who doesn't pay at all, and they lose money on that debt they purchased. Overall, it's a portfolio view. They try and buy it cheaply enough and collect more than enough to offset their costs and make some money on the edge. So that's, that's the business model. They've done it really well for quite a long time. But... That really well for quite a long time has been between recessions effectively, even the COVID recession, which was a technical GDP recession, didn't come with a lot of household debt problems because there was plenty of money sloshing around from governments to make sure we didn't end up in financial stress. Now we've just talked about, we spent a lot of this program, we will for I'm sure weeks to come, talking about the world we might be moving into, which is going to be one of higher household indebtedness or at least higher household financial stress, potentially a recession, maybe or maybe not probably more likely in the US than here, but possibly, arguably, probable, or at least possible here as well. Um, In that environment, the debt they've already bought, for example, or are buying now, will probably be as expensive as it was, potentially. Maybe the collections will be less than they, they could have got previously because it's even harder to collect in tougher economic times than in better economic times. What does that mean? It means that if you're buying for around the same price, but you're collecting less, imagine your costs don't change, but your revenue falls. What does that do? Of course, it crimps your margins. Now, this could be all way too pessimistic or way too cautious. They might have great systems and people They might be able to negotiate even better prices for the debt they're buying, maybe because they're collecting such little amounts, maybe they don't have a meaningful deterioration in their ability to collect from those delinquent customers. But I do think this is the time when companies like Credit Corp may well have tougher times collecting. And so that PE, while it looks pretty inexpensive at 16 times, that's assuming that level of profitability is sustainable. If it's not sustainable, and the P is closer to 20 or 25 times, very, very different proposition. There have been times when profits fallen even more precipitously. So, um, you know, they've done a really good job historically. They've got a very good track record of the last decade or so. So, you know, in, in the right circumstances, they're fine. Is it going to be fine if things get tougher? I don't know the answer. I dare say things will get slimmer than they have been in the past. Probably not the right time to buy a company, even though the price looks attractive-ish and the P is not overly stretching. If that profit can't be sustained, it might be a value trap. So I'm giving it a miss. OK, no.
2: Chris? <laughs> uh, I have a slightly different take. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a screaming buy. But uh, I think uh, the moving part for me that uh, slightly changes the thesis is the amount of supply in mm. uh, those debt ledgers that is going to come online. Like uh, Scott said, we are expecting to move in a more uh, difficult environment uh, and there'll be more debt that comes under stress. And there'll be more opportunity for a credit corp to buy that debt. Um, Probably I would have thought at a cheaper price, even if it's at the same price, there'll simply be more of it. uh, And if they're good at what they do and and they are, they'll be able to select the debt that they think they're most likely to be able to collect collect on. Um, uh, In terms of uh, answering Roger's question about whether or not now is the time to buy it, uh, again, it just comes down to what the share price is doing. So it is... It has fallen sharply and it is still falling. This is another one of those ones where I just need to see uh, some stability in the share price. Um, I don't mind the thesis as an investment. I need to see that stability in the share price. If we can find uh, a bottom and start to turn higher, that's when Mm -hmm. I'm more likely to look at it. But I simply won't catch a falling knife because uh, we know what happens when you try and do that. Okay, so are you holding it or are you just ignoring it at this point? No, no, I'd be, I'd be holding it if I had it, and yep. uh, I'd be looking for an opportune time to buy it.
0: OK, good one. All right, let's uh, move on then. Uh, our next stock is Aurelia. It, uh, it is a gold miner and, and explorer. In fact, it operates three mines, gold mines in New South Wales. Uh, Brett wanted to know about this, saying it's going down, yet it earns predictable income with a reasonable margin. It's cashed up, so appears objectively undervalued. The technician and fundamentalist in me Are in you know, conflict. Uh, Bearing in mind, a lot of gold stocks have been promising, but not delivering at this point, I guess, obviously, given where those bond yields and the US dollar
2: are at the moment. So, Chris, Aurelia. Yeah, I'll just jump off by saying to Brett, I feel your pain, mate. I'm a technician and a (laughs) fundamentalist as well, and uh, constant conflict, so I feel for you, mate. Uh, In terms of Aurelia, uh, I think there's some company-specific problems that have led to the share price decline. I mean, I don't particularly like gold miners, In any case, uh, and that's just a product of the fact that the gold price isn't doing that we're doing what we want to see it do. Um, But they did have some uh, weaker production guidance and uh, some downgrade on grades uh, grades in the March quarter, and I think it was around a six percent cut to production guidance. So that's probably why the share price has been beaten up of late. Uh, They do have a great balance sheet, though, uh, as pointed out: 81 million cash, uh, hardly any debt, only 25 million. Uh, and they've got a debt facility there of another $20 million. So they've got plenty of cash, um, but this, I just wouldn't buy this one. Like I said, it's more about uh, the fact that I don't particularly like gold stocks, uh, and this one has had some uh, production problems. So uh, it's an avoid for me.
0: Okay. All right. Um, Scott, do you like gold miners? Uh,
1: I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you viewers will just... know well, Andrew, that uh, I'm not a big fan of miners in general on a fundamental basis. Um they're generally digging big holes and then when the holes are they're going to find a new hole to dig and it means more more capital investment. Uh, in, a, in, a, in an industry where you have no pricing power at all, the best you can do is control your cost, control your operations really, really, really well and hope the price goes for you. Sometimes it doesn't, that's completely fine and there are some great operators out there but as an investor trying to forecast the ability to generate that cash requires you to know or to guess what the gold price might be well into the future, and I simply don't know. I'm a long-term investor for what it's worth, so I have no short-term view on either the, the trading perspective or even just short-term investing or speculating on what the price might do next. You just gotta, you know, f- take a five-year view, so what's the gold price gonna be over that five years? What's the margin gonna be? I don't know. And so it's impossible for me to, to put a really good number on it. Sometimes you get a chance to buy them cheap enough. Um, if and when the gold price is in a, in a bit of a funk, the closer the gold price gets to the marginal cost of production, The better the odds of simply getting a decent return, it's it's straight out probability, risk reward, right? Um, Doesn't mean it can't go lower, uh, but when it is low, that's a pretty good chance for most people. That being said, as Chris has nicely pointed out, the operational challenges are something you can't overlook. And as I said, you can't control the price, you can at least control your operations or at least look for businesses that seem to have good control of their operations and and kind of rely on the quality of management to at least do the best job of controlling what they can, controlling the controllables and letting the price do its thing and maximizing your chance of a good return uh really it may well be that business for what it's worth it doesn't look particularly expensive so i can understand what people are looking at saying well gee it looks like some opportunity there. there are predictable cash flows at least if the price stays where it is and that's what i say i don't know what I'd necessarily call them predictable from that perspective predictable volumes maybe might be the better way to put it uh, but yeah I, i'd probably look i think you want to you want to wait till the gold price gets cheaper if you want to play this at least the way i do it you don't have to do it my way but if you do, um, I'd be buying when the price looked low. I think I've only bought one or two miners in my life, uh, generally speaking, when that price just simply got close to the marginal cost of production. I believed in the operational excellence of the company. So that's the framework I'd use. Uh, unfortunately, that means I wouldn't be buying a real year at the moment. Okay. All right.
0: Moving on to uh, Qualitas Real Estate uh, Income Fund, uh, sort of an alternative real estate investment management firm and uh, matt wanting to know about this one um saying uh, has a great track record not sure why it's sold off so much seems like a good place to be with more risk around am i missing something well is he scott
1: not necessarily but i think there's a reason the market has sold these sorts of assets off and it comes down to property valuations if you think about the way that well, frankly, we've talked about the fact that interest rates are going up and, and Commonwealth Bank and others have said, well, look, we expect property prices to fall way up to, I think Commonwealth Bank's at 18% residential property. I'm getting to your question, don't worry. Um, because as rates go up, people can afford to borrow less. Therefore, places are worth less uh, the cost of any asset, including shares, by the way, right? We're seeing a lot of that sell-off uh, as people adjust their expectations for a higher interest rate, higher inflation environment. The same is true of property. And commercial property-wise, they use capitalization rates, as I'm sure our viewer knows. And those capitalization rates go up they multiply rent by a capitalization rate to get a valuation if the cap rates go up it actually brings property prices down and so the challenge there is unfortunately as we see rates go up it makes their portfolio worth less not worthless worth less there's a space between those two words uh, and so if you're in that environment in that situation what looks cheap now based on past earnings or past valuations may not be as cheap in that new environment. And that's often why we're seeing a lot of real estate related companies sell off, because their assets are simply worth less as a result of higher rates. It makes logical sense to me, it makes logical sense to the market. So I would argue that's probably what's caught uh, this business as well. I quality it's just simply that that outcome. It doesn't look super expensive on the numbers, but nor does it look particularly cheap. And the challenge with looking at some of these net asset backing numbers, we're looking backwards, right? So we're comparing the pre-rate rise valuations with the current one. Something looks cheap on a book value assessment versus what it might've been six months ago, go forward 12 months with possibly another, what, one, one and a half percent interest rate rises between now and then. Maybe it's higher if you believe some people. Uh, that That's probably worth it even, even less at that point. So this might be one of those cases where looking backwards, doesn't necessarily tell you what the situation looks like moving forwards. 15 times isn't, for my mind, cheap enough for a real estate business. Uh, as I said, I, I don't mind the fact that it's trading under book value. That is where I'd be looking for real estate assets. At the end of the day your your investment results uh development uh profits a bit of rental yield and a bit of leverage um those are nice things to have but of course leverage worth works both ways as well in a higher rate environment so uh, i i don't mind the business it is a pretty good asset manager pretty good property manager i don't dislike it at all i just don't see the burning case for a buy if i owned it now i'm not even sure that i'd keep it i probably would i think Uh, But for me, it's right on the border because that 15 times earnings and again, as I said, a a likely reduction in asset value moving forward. Time to sell them was probably a few months ago. uh, But if you like it and you're happy with the operational management, you probably want to hang around because you like what they're doing. And that's completely fair. I probably wouldn't have bought it in the first place. I probably wouldn't be in it now. I probably would sell it and look for other ideas. That being said, we've talked a lot about uh, the the various potholes in the market right now. There are worse places to be than Qualitas right now.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. That is a tentative hold then. <laughs> yeah. Let's go with
1: that.
2: Yeah. Okay. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah. So just interestingly, uh, the alternative real estate uh, financing sector grew out of the, the GFC after the banks. <laughs> they were forced to tighten their lending criteria and hold more capital. So non-bank lenders like Qualitas, who offer more flexibility, they, uh, they stepped in to fill the gap at a premium. The problem with all of that, um, whilst it's a niche market to be operating in, they've carved out a nice space for, their, for themselves, is everything that Scott said. Uh, they cannot escape the fact that their underlying assets will be affected by uh, monetary policy tightening, uh, property valuations will fall, earnings and dist- uh, distributions will come under pressure uh, and debt funding costs will rise. So um, that's all inescapable. Uh, and given that, uh, this is not one that I would want to hold right now. And even there are other REITs that I would still prefer to be holding. I think last time we were on the show, we discussed Goodman, um, which if I had uh, a gun to my head and was being forced to pick one of the property players, that would be it. (laughs) Okay.
0: No one's holding a gun to your head, Chris. Come on. All right. All right. So no then from you. All right. Uh, Let's – our final stock then is – Elmo, Izzy wanted to know about this. It does provide human resources and payroll software for small and medium mm. businesses, both in Australia and the UK. So, Chris, your thoughts on Elmo? I
2: actually quite like this business, Andrew, but uh, it's been in the news of late because it received that uh, $6.10 indicative cash bid from uh, a company over in San Francisco. Uh, Fran- San Francisco, Sorry, that's a mouthful. Uh, Axel KKR was the name of the company that was poking around but ultimately, they have walked away, and uh, and uh, Elmo has been left at the altar. So, um, a disappointing outcome um, that they weren't be able, that they weren't able to pursue that that opportunity would have valued the company at around 550 million dollars, uh, but now they're left to just uh, stay on the ASX and figure it out for themselves. Um, just on that front, though, I don't mind uh, the business at all. Uh, they've reiterated recently their their FY22 guidance. And their annual recurring revenues, uh, which is what everyone pays attention to in this space, how much money can they bring back year after year, uh, is tracking at the upper end of their guidance range. So the business is seemingly going quite well, but undoubtedly the share price is going to be uh, tumbled around a little bit because of uh, the bit walking away. All
0: Have right. oh, we still got you. So, yep, what are still you do- here. So
2: yep. So so what are you doing with it? Yeah, I think, it, I think if you held this one prior to the bid and you like the company, then you'd, you'd keep holding it, but it's not yep. one that I'd go out and buy.
0: Okay, fair enough.
1: Scott? Yeah, this is a really hard one, Andrew. Uh, there are so many indicative bids flying around these days. They're almost not worth the paper they're written on. Occasionally one gets up, but many of them are simply have a bit of a sniff around, walk away, uh, no harm, no foul, the old you know, highly conditional, non-whatever, you know, whatever. whatever. The language they put in front of the bid these days is it's kind of like, you know, okay, no responsibility. The challenge it does have for investors on one level is it makes you wonder why the bidder walked away. And for a skittish market that's already a little bit worried about what's going on, you think, well, hang on, they've, they've seen or heard or smelt or, or found something they didn't like, so they're not going to pursue, pursue the bid. Now, that's probably absolutely nothing to it, but it does make the market wonder what's going on. So that's part of the consideration as you think about whether almost decent value. You've also got a market that's obviously not paying up for growth and for technology right now. That, again, as I said at the very top of the show, can be a baby in the bathwater opportunity for many investors. And like Chris, I really like Elmo. Um, They're a good team, they're doing good things. They're working in a really nice, small, medium enterprise market, kind of flying below the radar of the big guys. they are able to kind of customize and and work on a a set of solutions that, that really, really work for their customers. On the flip side, these customers are only ever going to be so big and the land and expand strategy of kind of getting in with one module and selling them other modules really has to work because the companies themselves aren't going to necessarily uh, be, be massive. And the number of uh, opportunities they've got for in that small or medium space, lots of lots of businesses, but not as many are going to want to use almost products. Because they're simply too sophisticated or too feature packed or just simply too hard to install or implement for a whole lot of businesses in that space. I don't mean that about the businesses, just simply it's not fit for purpose. And so it's kind of a, it's a really interesting space. Largely, not a lot of competition specifically for that style of software at that scale, at that price in that market. Great, not a massive opportunity in terms of getting into the larger end of the market. And some of their competitors are actually moving down into those medium enterprises to try and grow their own business. So they're going to increasingly come up against competition. I, I do like the On My business, there For all of that said, and I think the price is pretty uh, attractive given where they're at at the moment. I don't, I don't own it personally. I don't, I haven't recommended it personally. But a lot of the guys at the full do like. Elmo for all the things, all the reasons I've just said. Uh, high quality management team. We like the software. We like what they're doing. Uh, we like the way they're doing that land and expand model. As they talk about, the net retention rate's been pretty good. Um, open question moving forward. These smaller, medium businesses probably more prone to economic uh, challenge than some of their bigger brethren. Not exclusively, but it tends to be the case that more small businesses go by the wayside than large businesses. If we do end up in some sort of economic challenge or even a recession, so there is a bit of a question mark around churn over the next 12-18 months. I can see why the price has fallen but i think it probably allows for enough opportunity uh, for the patient buyer Um, a bit like the other stuff we've talked about already and frankly the market today these things could go lower before they go higher if even if we're right so bear that in mind particularly in technology particularly in growth stocks but i think it's a pretty attractive price i'd be a buyer velmo
0: oh okay all right we finished on a buy that's good because uh must be said the second half of the show has been pretty negative as far as our is concerned. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, in fact, summarise where we've been. We began with uh, Apollo in that uh, RV uh, vehicle space there. Uh, it was a no from uh, Chris. And, um, yeah, Scott also saying, look, you can find better stocks too. He's got a sell on it, in fact. Uh, credit corp group there. Um, a no from Scott, um, Concern about... of those margins coming off Uh, chris saying well perhaps that's an opportunity to buy at a cheaper price he's got a hold on it aurelia in the gold space um both essentially saying they don't really like gold uh an avoid from uh, chris scott saying no but perhaps look if the you can look at it if the gold price comes off further um qualitas real estate income fund a tentative hold from scott a no from chris and just finally there elmo a hold Uh, from Chris and Scott saying, look, he really likes the company, loves the management. It is a buy. All right. That is our show for today. Let's thank our guests. Scott, thanks for joining us from Notley Fool. Thank you, Andrew. Where are you? There you are. Thanks again. And Chris, thanks for joining us from Marcus today. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Scott. Good one. Thanks, guys. Uh, All right. Just a reminder too, any stocks you'd like us to cover, Flick us an email, thecall osbiz.com.au or you can tweet us at osbiztv. And a reminder to find you can find those stocks in the call's portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Thanks for joining us.